You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, open your Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We notice that things in life oftentimes don't get better. We're looking at our culture, and we say things in our culture keep sliding. Like people are trying to shove God out, and our culture seems to be getting worse and worse, and we're not totally sure what to do about it. And we think we're more connected than ever, and we ought to have more hope than ever because we actually have way more information available to us than any people group in the history of the world. And we have this information available. It ought to bring more hope to our lives. But more and more people in America are checking none as their religious preference. If they were to take a survey, they would check none. More and more and more have just checked, "Mm, I don't really do religion. I don't really do organized religion. I don't do church. And they're checking none. And they think, some people think it's irrelevant. Other people think religion is oppressive. And other people think, you know what? I'm just going to take my chances on my own. I want to be independent. But what studies are finding is that ideal is not strengthening our nation. It is not strengthening our people. In fact, the opposite is happening. According to a Pew study, the number of American adults who identified as Christians dropped from 77% down to 65% in the last 10 years. Now, a lot of you would say that's no surprise. Like, we understand that church attendance, that kind of thing, is, is, has been on the decline in certain areas and certain things in America. No surprise there. However, suicide among teens and young adults has increased 56% in the same decade. So church attendance has gone like this, but suicide among teens and young adults has gone up 56%. And for the first time ever, suicide has replaced homicide as the most likely cause of death. People are buying into the lie that the world and everyone and everything around them will be better off without them, that they'd be better off without having to face any problems. They'd be better off having to endure the pressures that they have in this life. And they're making a horrible decision. They're making an agreement with the lie of the evil one to destroy themselves. And people are living without hope. And they don't know if they can trust hope or not. They're not sure. Because everything that they reach for for hope disappoints. But they're reaching for hope, and our culture's in trouble in many ways. It doesn't even matter a person's success. But that they're buying the lie, and they're making the worst decision, causing pain not only to themselves, but to people around them. Humans require hope to survive and to thrive. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, quote, Even in the inevitable moments when all seems hopeless, men know that without hope they cannot really live. And in agonizing desperation, they cry for the bread of hope. And Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 5, verse 1 and following, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our what? Help me out here. In our what? Sufferings. Oh, we get to glory in our sufferings because we know why that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, the hope we have in Jesus does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. 
that even if circumstances and life happenings hurt us, hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't put us to shame when our hope is in Jesus Christ. Christian faith is essential to reversing the problem of hopelessness in our world and in your life. But even among Christians, I think nowadays there are many people who, if they took the survey, would mark the box that says, do you have joy in your life? They would mark it as none. None. More and more, they're losing hope. Can there be another way? Can there be better? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the Thessalo, uh, church in Thessalonica, and this is a church of people who are believers, but they're being incredibly oppressed. They're being incredibly persecuted, and everything that they do has a problem. Their business workings are now having problems. They're being oppressed by the government. They're being oppressed by the inside. They're under incredible pressure, and they have just looked at their year. They've had a horrible year. They've had a very rough year, and maybe some of you can relate. For some of you, you're like, I just can't wait till we can just flip the calendar over from 2019 to something new because you're hard-pressed, because life has been brutal, because things have been awful maybe in your world. Maybe you can relate. And in the midst of this kind of pressure, in the midst of this kind of circumstances among the Thessalonica people, Paul is writing to them and he gives them these instructions. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to let you know right here, these verses contain God's commands for Christians concerning our attitudes and our actions in relationship with him. And notice in this verse that there are no exceptions for people. There's no exception here for circumstances. There's no exception here for events. It says these guidelines are prefaced with always, continually, and in everything. So he's saying rejoice when? Always. I mean, there's not a time we shouldn't rejoice? Uh-uh. Pray when? Pray continually. And give thanks. When do we give thanks? In all circumstances, for this is God's will for you, in Christ Jesus. And here's why you need this sermon. Everything in life is tempting you to stay stuck in anxiety or sadness or depression, so you must choose to rejoice always. You must choose joy. If you're taking notes today, write this down. You can't always be happy, but joy can always be available to you if you are a Christian. can always be available to you. In fact, you might not realize it, but Rejoice always is the shortest verse in the Bible. Some of you are like, no, it's not, because you went to Awana, and you said, it's Jesus wept. And you counted up the number of letters, and you went, what's your different? And you counted up, and you're like, Jesus wept is shorter. Well, that's in English. In Greek, the original language, this verse is one word. And by its tense, it's rejoice. When? Rejoice always by its tense. It is the shortest verse in the Bible. And I would suggest to you that, yes, Jesus wept. There were times that he cried. There was time that the emotion was great. But more often, I believe that people in the Bible were radically attracted to Jesus because he had the joy of God's Holy Spirit within him. And as he taught, he exuded joy no matter what the circumstances were. That he rejoiced far more than he wept. That he had joy in his life. 
Jesus is inviting you to enter the joy of the Holy Spirit today. It's an invitation. Jesus invites us into his love, and so often we kind of stiff arm him. Would you rest in my love? Jesus is inviting you and I into joy. Could we choose joy? Even if the circumstances or the happenings in our life don't make us happy, can we choose that? Jesus is inviting you to enter into his joy. Write this down. True joy originates from having Jesus as your Savior. Jesus as God, his work saves you, gives you hope and an inheritance. And we've talked about this these last few weeks. And when we've talked about inheritance, we have basically said that God gives us, when we put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross, he gives us on the inside his Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that when we trade in this rental of our body, when our body is traded in, when we run out of steam, when we die, when something takes us, in that moment, God's Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing that there is an inheritance in heaven that will never perish, never spoil, never fade. It's kept there for you. And God has given us an inheritance in this life so that we can experience even things like God's joy in the midst of a world gone wild. He loves us. He loves us, but it originates from having Jesus as your Savior. If you don't have that, you're not going to experience the joy through the Holy Spirit. Write this down. In Jesus, there's a perspective on your life story fitting into God's big story that enables you to rejoice always, even when you're unhappy. So again, we've talked about it all this year. That the story of you only makes sense when you fit it in the big story of God. So no matter what happens in your life, what tragedies, what setbacks, what disappointments, what highs, what lows, what significance you have is always significant because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and how your story is so critically important to the big story of God because he intended to write a chapter that involves you. He loves you. And it enables you to rejoice always, even in the worst of circumstances. One of the most joy-filled people I've ever met in my life is a lady who's in her 60s now named Johnny Erickson Tata. And Johnny, when she was 17, she dove off a pier into water that was too shallow. She broke her neck when she hit the soil under the water that was very shallow. She almost drowned except that her sister came along, grabbed her, pulled her out. She was 17 years old and she was a quadriplegic. She could no longer ride horses, which was her love. She couldn't paint, which was her love. She couldn't move her arms. She couldn't move her legs. She was a quadriplegic. She was paralyzed from here down. And God has used that woman in great ways to create a worldwide ministry and giving wheelchairs to people all over the world. And she teaches biblically and has a radio show and all these things. But you're going, how in the world is this person joyful when I mean, I would meet her like you're with Johnny and she's going around in her, in her wheelchair and she uses some muscles in her back to kind of move her arms now and she can drive her wheelchair. And if she's driving around the wheelchair, you'd be talking to her and she'll just suddenly burst into song. And she might sing a hymn, she might sing a song and you're with her and she just, out of nowhere, just bursts into song. And you're like, I guess we're singing now. We're all singing. Johnny's singing, I guess. We're all, woo, you know, jumping in and singing. But she has this joy that it just exudes her and she just is walking with the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a woman who is just, you just look at her and you go, she's so spirit-filled. She's got so much joy in her life. And then I have some friends and they were like, well, one of them is going to go work as an aide. She has to have a lot of people around her like to get her up. She's got her husband, but you know, other aides, medical aides who get her up and they get her ready in the morning because she can't brush her teeth. She can't wipe the itch on her nose. And some of you just did that. I saw it, by the way. 
She can't do anything. She can't feed herself, can't dress herself, nothing. So they go in, and, and the, my friend, he was basically like, well, when I get on the inside, we're going to see if she complains. Like, I want to see what's the public her versus the private her. And after working for almost a year, they were like, she doesn't complain. She just doesn't. She has every reason to complain, but she doesn't. She has the joy of the Lord in spite of her circumstances. And some people be like, come on, Dave. That's just her temperament or her personality. Maybe she's just one of those happy people. No, you can't tell me that a quadriplegic doesn't struggle with envy when they see you do your hair or they see you walk by or they see you riding a bike. You can't tell me that a quadriplegic doesn't question God's story and her life story in it. You can't tell me that a quadriplegic doesn't struggle with receiving help when you want to be self-sufficient and just do those things on your own. You can't tell me she's not a real person. She is. But she has the joy of the Lord in her life, and it makes all the difference. Why? Because she chooses joy in spite of the happenings that could make any person unhappy. She chooses joy. Write this down. Joy is a choice. It is a wake-up call to our will. There's a lot of things that you can choose, but there's certainly some things you can't. Let me tell you some of the things you can't choose. You can't choose good health. No matter how bad you want it, you can't choose it. You can't choose financial security. No matter how bad you might want it, you can't choose that. You can't choose marital bliss. You can't choose a family that's untroubled. You just can't. You cannot choose those things, but you can always choose joy even in the midst of tragedy. For the believer, there is triumph in the midst of tragedy through the choice of joy. And so you and I, we have a part to play when it comes to experiencing joy in Christ. We have a choice we have to make. I can either let tragedy become very tragic in my life, or I can choose to triumph over tragedy by allowing God's Holy Spirit to begin to work his fruit, his results. One of those results, those fruits of the Spirit, is joy. But he's a gentleman. He won't force it on you. You've got to choose to participate with what God already wants to do in your life. You can't choose you can choose joy. Your part, my part, is to choose to experience joy no matter your circumstances and to trust Jesus by his Holy Spirit to make it grow in your life. I mean, have you ever met a person who professes to be a Christian, but they're always sad? Oh, I'm just always sad. My heart is just always broken. I'm always broken before the Lord. I'm just in a state of lamentation, to lament, and they're just always sad, and it's like, well, part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy, and apparently that part of the fruit of the Spirit hasn't told your face, because you're just sad. You're just gloomy all the time. You're always kind of depressed. Let me tell you, if, if you've gone through some troubling circumstances in 2019, you might have good reason to say, I do feel sad. I am in a tough place. I am in a hard situation, and I'm not saying that by having joy, you just suddenly make your face all happy. Because you can have joy when you're not happy. See, happy is dependent on your happenings. Joy is dependent on your choice to participate with God's Holy Spirit. They're different. But I believe that a life long lived choosing joy in God's Holy Spirit at the end of their life, they will have smile lines and not wrinkles. And there's a big difference, isn't there? Do you choose joy? 
And you got to ask yourself that question. I mean, few things in the New Testament are more remarkable than this continual call for God's people to rejoice always. It's almost like it's a mystery. Like, really? Like, always? Yes. And the question on your outline says, if you're not living with joy, ask yourself, why not? Have I chosen joy? Why not? So let's ask yourself, have I chosen joy in my impossible situation? Have I chosen joy in my biggest struggle? Have I chosen joy in the midst of my current situation that's troubling? Have you chosen joy? And if not, why not? Why not? I think we've got to understand what joy is and how we get more of it. So write this down. Joy is supernatural. It is the result. It's a fruit of God's Holy Spirit. And it's not falsely manufactured. Are you participating with his work in you by choosing joy? See, here's what happens. If you're trying to be fake with people, you're going to try to be happy all the time. Oh, I'm a believer. I'm just happy all the time. And your mouth, you know, goes like this. And you're like, I'm just happy. And you're fake. You're like a hypocrite. See, happiness is determined on happenings, but joy is a fruit of God's spirit. But in the midst of troubling circumstances, you can be real with God, yourself, and others, but still have an internal joy because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, God, in the midst of these troubling circumstances, I am choosing joy because my soul needs it, and I can't manufacture it, and it's got to be a work of your Holy Spirit building that in me, but I'm going to participate with it. God, I will choose joy, and I will walk with you, but your Holy Spirit has to produce that fruit in me. Again, he will not, he will not force it on you. You and I have to participate with what he already wants to do so that we have joy in our lives. Even in sorrow, God says you can rejoice always while grieving. You can go to the full extent, the depths of grief. And at the same time, experience the joy because of a hope in the Lord, because of a God who says, God, when I, my happenings say that everything is sad right now, I am in incredible grief. I am still just feel emotional and I'm stuck maybe there. That God says in the midst of that, you choose joy and my Holy Spirit will begin to give you significance and joy and teaching you even through the tragedies of life so that they don't triumph over you. That even the tragedies play a part in the big story of God and the chapter that he's intended for you to live. Well, how do we know? You're like, Dave, you just said even in grief, or sorrow, we can still rejoice always, but is that just your idea? Because it may not be your idea, it may just be my idea, right? No, it's actually scriptural. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul is talking about what they've gone through, and they said that even at points we're sorrowful, yet always what? Rejoicing. I'm in sorrow, but I'm always rejoicing. I'm poor, yet making many rich. We have nothing, and yet possessing everything. He's saying because of Jesus that even when the worst of life comes at us, whether it's poverty, whether it's sorrow, whether it's being hard-pressed from the outside and circumstances and persecuted, that we can still, in the midst of all those things, be rejoicing always. We choose joy even in the midst of hard circumstances and in the season we're in. We don't wait till the season's over and then try to choose joy because our happenings got more happy. We choose joy even in the midst of sorrow 
In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and Jesus said this, So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. Let me just pause right there for a minute, because I think we run through scripture too fast sometimes. That phrase, I will see you again. Isn't that good news? I will see you again. Oh, for those of us who have lost people, if they know Jesus, I will see you again. That's great news. Those of us who've never seen Jesus, Jesus is saying to his disciples who have seen him, you're going to see me again. But isn't that good news for us? That I will see you again, the one who knows me fully, the one who has created me, the God who wants me to rest in his love, that I will see you again. Not just the work of you in my life through your Holy Spirit, but my eyes will behold the God of the universe and I will see him. And Jesus is assuring his disciples, you will see me again. And no one will take away your what? Your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. See, Jesus is instructing his disciples, listen, I'm giving you instruction ahead of time, but I'm going to be dead, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to raise to new life, you will see me again, but even then, I'll be around for about 40 days, and then I'm going to ascend into heaven, and I will send to you my Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life. That Holy Spirit will always be with you, he will never leave you, and you will see me again. Oh, there's such comfort in that. That even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of sorrow, that we can still rejoice always. In fact, God's going to produce joy in us and make our joy complete. So he gives us this verse, these verses, rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know that this little section of Scripture, this little command, and this command to rejoice always, goes hand in hand with continual prayer and giving thanks. It is the triple threat to all that threatens your psychological well-being. It's the triple threat that goes against everything that will threaten you and I psychologically. That God says, in the midst of troubling circumstances. You might be right here right now struggling with mental health, and God says, in the midst of that, rejoice always. And you don't know how it works or where it's going to go, but God's saying rejoice always, and you can do that. And God's will will produce joy in your heart in the midst of just a troubled mind. You might be dealing with grief right now, and God is saying, listen, choose joy. Choose joy right now. Every day when your tears come, in the midst of that, still choose an inner joy, because you will see me again, God, and we will see those who've gone ahead of us. Choose it. When my mom lost my dad to pancreatic cancer, she learned pretty quick. She said, I choose what to surround myself with because I know that there are, if I go down certain roads, I know where it leads me. If I over-reminisce, if I pick up on things, and for a while she just had to put some pictures and some things away because she knew that it was not helpful for her that she was choosing joy even in the midst of losing her husband of 35 years. We've got to choose joy even in the worst. 
well, what will joy do in my life? Why do I want it? What will joy give me in my life? It will influence my behavior and stimulate my affections and desires. That's a pretty good description of hope in the midst of hardship, is it not? Like with a world starving for hope, a world crying out for the bread of hope. Doesn't joy begin to spark that? Doesn't joy begin to come in there? Isn't that what stimulates our affections and our desires? The reason that we get stuck is because we're in a place where it's so hard that we can't really determine our affections. We can't really determine our desires. Our actions come to go nowhere and we're paralyzed. We're like Johnny Erickson Tata in that wheelchair. We're stuck and we can't raise our arms and we can't raise our legs and we, we don't move because we're stuck in our sadness. We're stuck in our grief. We're stuck in our depression. And God is saying, listen, choose joy. Because when joy becomes alive and that hope becomes alive in you, what happens is it stimulates your affections again. It stimulates your desires again. The problem is our world tells you to medicate your affections and medicate your desires. And so when life throws the worst at some people, they try to drink it away or they try to sleep with someone else away or they try to get a new relationship or they try to become rich and, and somehow make the heartache go away. And Paul's saying, listen, we don't have anything. We're poor, yet we're rejoicing always. We're in the troubled circumstances, so we pray continually. And even in the midst of our sorrow, we rejoice always. It's a triple threat to all that threatens your psychological well-being. Listen, over the last few years, I've watched a young man who, right after receiving Jesus as his Lord and Savior, went through a horrible, nasty divorce and started having to do split custody with his kid and walked through it. And in the midst of trying to figure out what in the world, God, I just gave my life to you, but what in the world are you doing? Like giving my life to you didn't fix everything. But he quickly found that going through those things, he had to choose joy even when he couldn't control the circumstances around him. And it would have been much more fleshly and much easier to choose all the circumstances around him. But he was choosing joy. He was praying. In fact, the pain of it all was driving him to have to pray. He was giving thanks to God through the process. Not perfectly. Not every time. Sometimes he got in the despair. Sometimes he got in the confusion. Sometimes he got in the frustration. But not in the process, the pain continued to drive him back to God when he tried to carry it all on his own. And as he looks back on that tough season, he sees how choosing to rejoice always is influencing how he behaves in the new normal of singleness and navigating shared custody. And I see his affections and his desires stimulated now. Not a paralyzed person anymore, but someone who's looking ahead, someone who's brought hope back, who is looking forward because the circumstances of life didn't make him happy. But in the midst of that, he found his Savior and he decided to choose joy. That hope is only found through Jesus, only and always. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 12 too, he says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is what Jesus did. Listen, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's Jesus, Jesus who wept 
when he was in the garden on the night that he was going to be betrayed, he wept, and he, he, in fact, he wept so hard that he had drops of blood. Literally, it's a medical condition that the stress and the anxiety and the mental hardship on a person, the despair that can overcome a person is so great that you'll actually have drops of blood like sweat coming out. And he went before the Father, and he began to say, God, if there's any other way for me to do this, let's do that. But he knew, I am willing to endure the cross for the joy set before me. What's the joy? The joy is every person who would have the opportunity to have peace between them and God through the blood and the work of Jesus. But he had to go through the route of suffering. And he said this, listen, I went and through and I followed through and did it because of the joy set before me. It's you. And I want you with me, and I have a big plan, and you've got a chapter in it, and I want you to live your calling. I want you to encounter me. I want you to grow through community. And so he said, I will endure the cross for the joy set before him. Didn't say for the plan, didn't say for the greater good, but for the inner joy that he had, not for the happiness, for the inner joy he had that there could be peace between people and God, that sins could be washed away, that his Holy Spirit could indwell people and that that Holy Spirit will always be with you until you see him again. For the joy, what do you do with the joy? He says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. It's shameful to be naked and suffering on a cross, but he scorned that shame. You know what shame does? Shame usually scorns you. Shame says something's wrong with you. You're the problem. You're awful. What did Jesus do when the shame came coming to him? He scorned it. And I believe that believers in Jesus Christ can do exactly the same because of the joy of the Lord in you. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just think about your own life for a moment. I want you just to consider, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given belief, have you given faith to the fact that he died on the cross and canceled out your sin and he offers you eternal life? He can't force you to take it. You've got to receive it. He offers you the presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside and one of the things the Holy Spirit does on the inside is give you joy. And you've been trying to manufacture it and you're just finding out you can't do it without Jesus. And maybe if that's you today, then you just give your life to him. You just pray a prayer like this to say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that when you died on the cross, you did it to cancel out my sin. I believe you were buried, that you rose to new life, and that you are God. I ask you even now to make me a new creation on the inside. Wash me as white as snow. Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you just prayed that, will you raise your hand? Anywhere around the room that today was the day, I see your decision right over there, right over there on the back. Greatest decision you could ever make, all the way in the back on this side. Awesome. And maybe for right now, there's some Christians in the room and you have, would have to admit that you would have checked the box that said, I'm not experiencing a lot of hope or much joy. And would you just right now, as your moment of decision, will you just tell God, God, I choose joy. 
in the midst of my heartache. I want to work with your Holy Spirit that he would produce joy even with what I'm facing so that I can scorn its shame. God, I thank you that right now many decisions are being made that can be breakthroughs and we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for your great sacrifice. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.